Were you there? Alongside the son and the father? Were you there as the foundations of the earth were laid? When the morning stars sang together as the creator shut in the sea with doors? When he proclaimed his authority and sovereignty over all of the universe? Over all of its elements, the land, the ocean, and the heavens? I can't see you. To what world do you belong? You are not flesh nor blood. Do you belong to the cosmic powers that live in the heavenly places? It is said that they shall fear your name from the west, and your glory will rise out of the sun. You will come like a rushing stream driven by the wind. Why wind? life to the dust and into dried bones that comes thundering from heaven that filled that entire house with tongues of flame flames that baptize me in holy fire why fire is this the same fire that created the heavens is it possible can that same power live inside of me. Once again, some of you came in just a little bit later on this first Sunday that we're doing here at Harrison Church, camp meeting style. This is how Methodism began. John Wesley, a guy named George Whitfield, they would hit the open streets and they would preach the good news of Jesus. And I thought, why don't we do that? It's July. It's the middle of summer. It's the dog days. We can do something different, can we not? Now, I did say a couple weeks ago that I did not actually plan uh, on wearing my my normal attire. Like I would wear something different. Well, I've got to confess this to you. My wife is out of town. She's visiting her mother in, in Kansas. And some of you don't know this, but I'm colorblind. I didn't know what to wear today. <laughs> I really didn't know what to put on. So I need her help. Maybe next week we'll do this. And I also have to tell you another thing. This will absolutely be, I've been in ministry for 14 years, uh, almost 15. This will be the first revival I've ever preached. I've never done this before. I'm nervous. But the Lord is with us. And the Lord is with me. I was trying to think about what we could talk about on this day and the next week. And I was like, Lord, what are some uh, stories where someone has been revived by you? And, and so today I'm going to read a passage from Mark chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, you can join uh, with me there. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen. So let me read from Mark chapter 5. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of the gospel. And as I'm reading it, let the Spirit speak to you this day. Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 1. Okay, so Jesus and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the Gerasenes. 
And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart. And the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. He knelt, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus has said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside a great herd of swine, pigs, was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged Jesus, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And the swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. And then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And listen to look at how they responded. And they were what? They were afraid. Those who had seen what happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to do what? Leave. Get out. We're going to get back to that. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might be with him and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, I got to tell you, I've been, uh, I told you I've been doing ministry for a few uh, years now, and every so often somebody will say to me, they'll say, hey, um, do you really believe like the miracle stories, the healing stories of Jesus in the Gospels, do you believe that they, those really happen as a matter of fact, or do you think it means something else? And I've never really doubted the miracle stories of Jesus or the healing stories of Jesus ever, and I will tell you, I was, I was thinking about this. Uh, I went to the Holy Land for the first time about six years ago, and it was my visit, my first visit to Israel that confirmed for me that all the healing stories, the miracle stories of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels happened as a matter of fact. I was actually at the very place where it's purportedly this story happened, the Gerasenes, where this man was uh, healed by Jesus, all these unclean spirits, and uh, I was visiting at this site, and, and a thought actually occurred to me there. I was like, here we are. If you know Israel, the northern part, Galilee, is very remote. It's very rural, very nondescript. There's not much out there. And here we were with the group out in the middle of nowhere. And then we had just left on the uh, shore of Galilee, the Capernaum. This is where Jesus actually did a lot of his work. He lived in Capernaum. And that's too, it's just a little dot, right, out in the middle of nowhere. And I was at this site where this story takes place, and then I remembered how in some of the Gospels it says that there were chief priests and scribes and Pharisees that made a long trek from Jerusalem all the way up into this really remote, nondescript, nothing-out-there region to kind of investigate what was going on about Jesus. 
And then I thought for myself for a second, like, wait a minute. No one's going to travel hundreds of miles by foot. That would take about two or three days unless something was going on in this region that was freaking people out. I mean, word had had to have spread for hundreds of miles. In other words, I thought, wow, Jesus was doing some things in this region that was just raising people's suspicion, causing a big commotion. And that's always the way it is with miracles. We say we want to see one. We say we want to see somebody be healed or whatever. But if that happens, most people don't readily embrace it. It usually freaks them out. There's usually this great commotion. There had to have been a commotion in our story today. By the end of it, you saw there was this commotion going on. Mark says that there was this man, the demoniac, who lived out among the tombs. He was so out of his mind. He was so deranged. Did you catch what the people were trying to do to him? Even the people tried to chain him to the stones, to the tombs in the area. And so this man, Jesus, is coming through. He, he jumps out in front of Jesus, accosts him, and says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Now Mark says that this man was bound by a host of unclean spirits. There were forces at work within him. There were forces at work without him, on the outside of him, so much so that this man, he, he lived out of control. He was totally out of control. And then Jesus asks him a very interesting question I've been thinking about. Jesus says to him, do you remember the question? What is your name? And the man says, my name is Legion, for we are many. So it wasn't just one thing that had this man under control It was a host of things, a legion of things. Then Jesus hears this man's name, Legion, the name of the unclean spirits. And then Jesus casts out the spirits. And then Mark says that this man came to his right mind. And in that moment, he no longer lives so out of control. He had some peace within himself at last. And so I'm wondering today, My first Sunday of revival, never done this before, but I'm wondering today, are there any people out here this morning who know what it's like to live out of control? Anybody here feeling right now as if your life is completely out of control? You know what that's like? See, we like to think that we're in control. I'm in control. I'm good. I got it. I'm a free person. I can make my own decisions. I'm good. I can call my own shots. See, we like to think that we're in control, but the Bible says we're not in control. There are so many forces, if you think about it, at work, aren't there? Kind of within us. And sometimes these forces outside of us, inside of us, kind of get the best of us, and we don't even know it. Things like our fears. Things like our sins. Things like the, the things in our environment, in our, in our culture, and in our community that can kind of get into us and feels like it's, we're under their influence all the time. Some of, the, some of you can really resonate with St. Paul in Romans chapter 7 when Paul says, the things that I really want to do, those are the things I don't end up doing. And the, the bad things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. I am a mess. See, we like to think that we are in control, but actually there are other forces at work in our lives and what we do is, is we think, well, I, I can do this. I can, I can take care of this. I'm in control of my situation. I know what's going on. And we try our best to subdue these impulses that live within us, that make us feel as if we are completely out of control, and we think we can handle it ourselves. But what happens? We just relapse. 
we just keep going back to the same things, like the man in the story. Oh, we just still feel chained. We still feel bound. You know, it's interesting. There are those who say about this lesson that what really possessed this man, the unclean spirits, actually came from his community. So it was like the people he had lived with that actually infected him. In other words, it was like a deranged people that made this man kind of deranged within himself. So this man became kind of a reflection of the people around him. That's interesting. And it kind of makes sense. I kind of get this. I mean, there is such a thing as like a, a negative spirituality that can be at work in our culture, kind of like this, this cultural ethos, the people around us, and it can get into us. And we don't even know it's in there, but it's there, and we just kind of think it's normal. And you think about our society today. I mean, there's like this negative spirituality at work right now, is there not? Like all of this division in our culture. Man, we are so angry at each other. We are vicious to each other. You've seen these little comments people make to each other. We are vicious, and it's gotten into us. All of a sudden, what's going on out here gets into us, and we become kind of angry. We become kind of vicious to each other. We're not kind at all. And these, this is not of God. And we got a society today that is afraid of everything. We fear so much in our time, everything. And you and I, we have become a fearful people. It's gotten into the church. Even the church, we feel like we're afraid all the time. Not only are we divided, the rest of our culture, like it's divided. We're, we're just as fearful people there. I mean, so what's outside? It's like this stuff actually can get in you. But let's bring this down a little bit. Let's make it personal. A buddy of mine who's a pastor said, I said, I've never preached a revival sermon before. He says, you've got to make it personal. I said, okay. So let's make it personal. What about you? You know, what's interesting is that Jesus said, ask for the name, and the man named what had him under its control, legion. Let me ask you this. If Jesus were to ask you this morning, give me a name, what would you name, what would you identify in your own life that has made you feel out of control? What name would you speak before the presence of Jesus? Some of us might say the name is anger. Talked about that. Everybody's angry. Some of you feel so slighted by the circumstances in your life, by the things that have happened to you, that there is this bitterness in you, there is this resentment in you, and you want to get away from it. You just cannot get away from it, and it just has this kind of compelling constraint on top of you. Some of you would say, Lord, the name is anger. Some of us might say its name is apathy. We just don't care anymore. And you know you should care, but you, you've kind of lost your zeal to be the responsible person God has called you to be, to be responsible to your family, to your marriage, to care about what's going on in your faith. You just kind of live in this spirit. Well, I, I just don't, nothing matters. I, don't, I just don't care anymore. You don't want to live like this. You know you're not supposed to live like this, but this apathy, it's as if it's got you under control. Some of you might say its name is 
despair, grief. Some of you have experienced a loss recently in your life. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost a relationship. Maybe you lost a loved one and and you grieved and you should grieve, but yet you just can't get out of it. You're in this funk. And this grief of yours has has kind of put you down this path towards despair and now you don't think that, that you'll ever recover from it. You'll never be able to move on. Some of you might say its name is the bottle. Some of you might say its name are the pills, the drugs. I want to get away from it. I just can't. It's like it's got me under its spell. Some of you might say its name is the adult content online or guilt or promiscuity. Oh, you know you're not living the way you should be living. But it's as if there's a force over you. And you you just can't get away from it. You know, I find it interesting that Jesus said to the man, what is your name? I think Jesus actually wanted the man's name, but the man did not give him his name. He actually gave him the name of the forces that were kind of putting him under its control. So much so that this man could not differentiate who he was from what had ailed him from so long. And so some of us have been struggling so long with this thing that's over us, whatever it might be, whatever you would name, and we cannot imagine life without it. We just cannot imagine life doing anything else. It will always be this way. And what Jesus wants from you today, I was thinking about this. He wants the name. Can you name what's got you? The force at work within you, you want to get away from, but it just feels as if it'll always kind of be taking over and holding your life. Hasa, Jesus wants the name. You know, the man says to Jesus when he sees him, he says, Lord, what do you want to do with me, son of the most high? As if the man should be ashamed to be in the presence of Jesus with what has ailed him. Sometimes we can do this. Sometimes we come to church Sunday after Sunday, year after year, and we feel as if if we named what was really ailing us in the presence of Jesus, if we really named what kind of had us possessed then all of a sudden, oh, we're going to incur God's shame. God's going to be wrathful to us. We feel this way. I talk to people all the time who feel this way. They're embarrassed to say what's really going on in their lives, and that is the lie. That is the lie of the sin. That's the voice of the enemy speaking. That is not God. Jesus Christ did not come into this world seeking what is clean about you. Jesus Christ came into this world seeking what is unclean about you. Jesus does not come seeking your goodness or my goodness. He doesn't want that. Jesus came seeking your brokenness. Jesus does not come seeking your virtue. We think only, to only well, God wants what, what's good about me. Jesus does not come seeking your virtue. He came seeking your vices. That's what Jesus wants you to name I mean, what did Jesus say? I did not come to save the righteous. I came to save those who knew they were sinners and know they are sinners. Those who can name, who can speak a name of what has empowered them and and is in control of them so that they might find some hope and they might find some healing. Any of you feeling unclean today? Any of you feeling sinful today? That's what Jesus came for. He came to heal that. Do you... 
do you believe that God can heal? I mean, really, do you believe that Jesus Christ is alive today and his power has the power to do something mighty in your life? Do you believe that? When was the last time you expected God to do something mighty in your life? I'm serious. When was the last time you actually expected God? You were looking for God to do something crazy and to act in your life. You know, I was thinking this week, what we really need in the church today is not a revival in our beliefs. Like, I believe in the Lord, let me revive that. We need a revival in our expectations of God. Man, you talk to people, they don't, we're not expecting God to do anything in our lives. We're just kind of going through the motions, not expecting God to show up. When was the last time you really expected God to do something? All the people in the Gospels who came to Jesus, many of them, they were expecting Jesus to do something big. There was a leader of a synagogue who said to Jesus, Lord, my daughter is dead, but I know that if you come and lay your hands on her, she will live. There was a leader, a Roman soldier, who said to the Lord, Lord, my servant is ill, but you don't even need to come to my house. You just speak the word, and my servant will be made whole. And then there was that woman who was suffering from the hemorrhage for so long. You know the story? She sees Jesus in the crowd, and what does she say to herself? She says this. She says, if I but just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. That's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of revival of faith that I want. That's the kind of relationship with Jesus Christ that I want. I want an expectant relationship. I don't want to just believe in God. I I want to expect God to do something in my life that I cannot do for myself. When was the last time you did this? Pastor Kyle, a couple of weeks ago when he preached, one of the things he said was, um, when you get into a small group with the pastors now, like in committee meetings or whatever, one of the things that we're asking you is, uh, how has God been working in your life? And for the first few weeks, uh, the response we got were people looking at their shoes. You see, the reason we are not, the reason we don't know how to talk about how is God working in our life is because we have stopped looking for God working in our life. We have stopped expecting God to work in our life. I mean, Jesus Christ is alive today to free you today from whatever has you bound His power is at work to make you whole. But first, you got to be willing to name it. You got to be willing to name it. Are you willing today? Are you willing to name your pain before the presence of Christ? Are you today, my brothers and sisters, are you willing to come before Jesus Christ today and to kneel before Him and to name? that force in your life that you need healing from and to receive the blessings of Jesus on your life to be made whole again. Are you willing to do that? you got to name it. Jesus Christ is alive to do this for you today. But i got to tell you this before I wrap it up. i got to warn you. i got to warn you about two things, and it's in the lesson because this lesson does not end with just the man's healing. I love this. What happens at the story, it says this. It says that uh, when the people saw that what had happened, they begged Jesus to leave their neighborhood. They didn't like what happened to this man. They kind of liked it when he was out living in the tombs. I'm going to tell you this. 
I was there once. If you ask Jesus Christ to do something new in your life, people around you, they may not like it. They, they kind of liked it when you were out living in, in your own tombs. They liked it when you were codependents with them, when you complained with them, or cursed the world with them, or blamed the man on everything that ails you with them, or drank with them, or do whatever you liked, whatever you were doing together with them. They won't like it if you are changed. But I'll tell you this, if you let Jesus Christ do something new in your life, if you name the pain in your life, Jesus Christ will remove you from the place of death in your life and the people around you who prefer to keep you there, they'll leave you too. Are you willing for that? Are you willing to make that kind of change? The second warning i got to tell you is this, that right after the man was healed, he begs to stay with Jesus, and then he says to Jesus, let me stay with you, but Jesus refused and said, go home to your friends. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Sometimes we want the healing of God on us, and that's all we want. Just a few benefits. We'll, we will go live our lives. It'll be good. But if you're going to be touched by the living God, you, you can't stay where you were. Jesus is going to make you well to make you a witness. Jesus wants to do something new in your life so that you'll have a new purpose in your life. Are you willing for that? Are you willing to come before the Lord and say, I name it. I need to be made whole so your life can be changed. Well, I thought we would do that. I thought what we could do here for the next few minutes, if you're willing to do it, is to come before this place. What I have here are kind of the oil of healing. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit and if you're willing to come today, I, I want you to just come and I will just place a little bit of oil on your forehead and, and you can just name it. Name, you don't have to say, it, say it to me, you can just say it to the Lord. Just name what is possessing you and expect God to do something mighty in your life. If you don't want to come here, we have places where you can kneel. The man knelt before the Lord is how he received his healing. So I'm going to invite you to come as the music is playing. To believe God to do something mighty in your life, to bring you and I back to life. And he's going to make you well, to make you a witness. I invite you to come. Thanks for listening to this week's message from our first of three revival-style services. Our final revival service will be on July 16th at 10 a.m., and it'll be a joint worship service outside under a tent. We hope to see you there.